All right, let's talk New York football giants. There's plenty to talk about with these New York football giants. We had the Kadarius Tony trade. We had the NFL trade deadline. We had the Seahawks loss. We got the bye week coming up. So there's a bunch that we can discuss. I will kick it off with the Kadarius Tony trade. This happened basically right after I was done recording on the last podcast, last episode, and a bit of a shocker, but not really. I think uh, surprising, but not S- somehow. I don't know how that works, but, you know, the, the, the vibes were not great with Kadarius Tony. you know, dating back to the, to the training camp when he lit it up pretty much right off the bat and then went, went MIA and then there was all this talk about how the, the new regime is not too fond, not too crazy about his work ethic and his ability to retain the playbook was, I guess, speculation from a lot of people, you know, so sophisticated that he can't pick it up. Yet every time this guy's on the field and they give him the ball, he makes plays. Mm. So somewhat bittersweet, we sent him to the Chiefs, which the Chiefs now have a litany of playmakers on their roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And they felt like the more the merrier. And if they're going to compete with the likes of the Buffalo Bills as the AFC contender, as the, as the top AFC team in, to uh, be in contention for the Super Bowl, they felt like Kadarius Tony was a guy that they could scoop up on the relatively cheap and just design all kinds of cool, kooky gadget plays because that's what the Chiefs do, right? They <laughs> That's what Andy Reid and uh, who's his OC, former running back, can't remember. Uh, that's what they do, right? They just cook up the, I mean, that's where Kafka, Kafka came from as the OC. And so it's a matter of like, hey, he's your problem now. Do with him what you will. Maybe he'll come up big for you. A lot of people wondering about his injury situation because it seems like he hurt his hamstring in training camp, missed some games, and then he tweaks some other hamstring in another game and he just couldn't stay healthy. And then from from the, from the what he's been putting out on social media, it's like, I guess he's not hurt. He's not injured. So I've never seen a player like him in a Giants uniform. I know that people will probably say Odell Beckham Jr. was a different kind of playing style with Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know that he had the level of stop start, like the the ability to stop on a dime right angle, like cut, make people miss. OBJ was great at that. Not to Kadarius Tony's level. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> the things that he was putting on tape were absurd. So, uh, I am, it's like one of those, what could have been, you know, we say that about guys like David Wilson, uh, running back that the giants drafted in 2012, who seemed to be like an all around just weapon running the ball, catching the ball, the backfield, returning punts and kicks, you know, was on full display in that blowout of the saints at home in 2012. And then injuries took him down. You know, I, I mean, I guess David Meggett is not that far off of a comp. You know, looking at I Big Blue VCR puts up clips, highlights of David Meggett from time to time. And I watch him. And I'm like, oh, damn. I mean, he doesn't do the stop start that Kadarius Tony does, but his just slipperiness and his elusiveness. I don't know that the Giants really have had a lot of playmakers like that. I mean, you know, Saquon, Saquon. He's once in a lifetime generational running back. But in terms of making a play, like touching the ball and knowing that something freaking crazy is about to happen every time he touches the ball. That was Kadarius Tony. I mean, it, it just a, a jolt to the system. Electric. I mean, I mean, I know that term's thrown around and overused a lot, but just freaking electric, dude. It was just great to see him get his hands on the ball because he knew something 
good was going to or crazy was going to happen. But, you know, for whatever reason, he rubbed two different regimes the wrong way. So if it were the same regime, you'd be like, well, maybe it's just not a fit. I mean, we've talked about that with Julian Love and O'Shane Zimenez and a lot of these guys that were kind of lost in the mix or forgotten with previous coaching staffs. And then they get this coaching staff, which who, who seems to get the most out of their talent. And they, they excel, but yet Tony, for whatever reason, just could not find his way to the playing field. <laughs> it's just like, so good, good. I don't want to say good riddance, good luck. You know, I'm sure he'll, he'll freaking he'll go off <laughs> with the chiefs and make kinds of all kinds of highlight plays and, and make us regret that move. But we do get a third round pick and a, and a sixth round pick both, both in next year's draft. Next year's draft, we now have 11 freaking selections. Once we get the two additional compensatory picks, one for Evan Ingram in the fifth, and then one for Keon Crossan in the seventh, we now have two third round picks, two fifth round picks, and three seventh round picks. So Kadarius Tony is one of the trades that happened in October, late October. We saw the Eagles pick up Robert Quinn from the Bears. We saw the Cowboys pick up former giant Jonathan Hankins, defensive tackle from the Raiders. The Jets made a move after Brees Hall went down, picking up James Robinson from the Jags. The Niners acquire Christian Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers. And you can see right off the bat making a huge difference in (laughs) making a huge difference in week Two week one, it was against the Chiefs, and he was used kind of here and there as he's trying to, you know, take in and absorb and digest the playbook. And then week two of him being on the team, and it's like he throws a touchdown, he runs for a touchdown, he catches a touchdown. <laughs> like hasn't been done since Ladanian Tomlinson. So it seems like the Niners have their finger on the pulse of what works with Christian McCaffrey and uh Robbie Anderson, disgruntled re- receiver Robbie Anderson gets a dealt from the Panthers to the Cardinals and uh, the Falcons deal Deion Jones to the Browns. That was earlier on in October. So you can see the kind of teams that are making moves, right? It's the contenders, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Jets, Niners, Cardinals, even the Browns feel like they still have a, a shot. And that's important to note because as Joe Shane Giants GM pointed out, there weren't, there aren't a lot of sellers. There aren't a lot of sellers in the market. A lot of people a lot of teams halfway through the season still think they have a shot. And, you know, I mean, just look at the NFC South and the NFC West. I mean, those two divisions are up for grabs. The Seahawks put on display why they are probably the favorite to win the West. But the Niners, now that they got McCaffrey fully integrated and blended in to that to that scheme, they could make a run. I think the Rams are pretty much done. And I think the Cardinals are like, I don't know what the hell the Cardinals are or what they're doing. <laughs> they're just kind of all over the place. I don't take them too seriously um obviously they i think they probably have the potential on paper to do to make make a push but i just don't see it actually coming to fruition and then fc south it's like the bucks are struggling big time can't run the ball losing games losing to the panthers and so now the now the falcons feel like they've got a shot so they're they're wheeling and dealing the panthers are pretty much out of it and so they are a seller the detroit lions they are a seller pretty much everyone else feels like they have a shot and rightfully so. I mean, the commanders are in last place in the East, but they're four and four. So they could very, I mean, who's to say that they can't be the seventh seed as, as a wild card, you know? I mean, a very well, I mean, I wouldn't put it past the NFC East to have all four teams go to the freaking playoffs. <laughs> Just have the, okay, the Eagles get the bye, uh, Cowboys get the five, we get the six, and then 
Commanders get the seven. That's not out of the realm of possibility, especially with Taylor Haneke uh, doing his thing, being all magical and shit. So leading into the NFL trade deadline, which was on Tuesday, November 1st at 4 p.m., there were all kinds of rumors swirling about who we could go after. Primarily, it was all wide receiver talk, which I thought was kind of interesting that we weren't in any discussion about a tight end or maybe an offensive lineman, maybe even an inside linebacker, knowing that our linebacker and crew is so on the interior is uh, lacking, I would say, could do better. So Jerry, Judy, and KG Hamler from the, from the Broncos that would, they were being tossed around a whole bunch because their, uh, their rookie contracts are expiring in 2024. Brandon Cooks was another guy that we could have gotten the cheap this year, but would have had to pay out the ace next year, something like 18, $24 million, uh, which he'll give you a thousand, 900 to a thousand receiving yards and a bunch of touchdowns, which for a starved, for a wide receiver starved team like we are, that sounds like freaking an oasis, nirvana, heaven on earth. So, uh, but understandably, I don't think with the cap issues that we have and the fact that we have Kenny Galladay still on the freaking roster that severely hamstrings us um, in terms of bringing in, bringing in a wide receiver one. DJ Moore was tossed around a lot. Chase Claypool, Denzel Mims, or Elijah Moore. Um, you know, and that was more uh, a product of them, Mims and Moore being frustrated in the offense that they're in, disappointed. Even though the team's winning, they're not producing. And so that, so those are the situations you're looking for if you're a GM and you're trying to wheel and deal and swap and make trades is teams that either are out of the playoff contention that are looking to um, acquire draft picks to rebuild, of which there aren't, there's Panthers and Lions, really. And then you have the teams where they might be middling or winning, but they've got these personalities that are just not jiving with the rest of the roster for whatever reason or the, or the scheme. And those are where your other opportunities are. So like the Texans are pretty much out of it, right? So they would be looking to deal. The Broncos are pretty much out of it. I mean, they just look awful. So, you know, that's why people uh, thought Judy and Hamler might be gone. And Claypool with the Steelers, like the Steelers aren't great this year. And I don't know that they really have a shot in the AFC North. So they were looking to deal Claypool. So, and I think a lot, the, the sentiment among Giants fans was we want something to happen, but we're not expecting something to happen. And I think most fans, it was 50 50. I don't know. I don't know the split was that that exact and precise, but I would think that a lot of fans would not be disappointed if we didn't make any moves. They understand. They want to trust the process, and they and they believe in Brian Dable and Joe Shane, and so they want to. They, you know, whatever decision they make, they're cool with. And then there were fans that were like, "Can you just look at like this?" Start is historical in a lot of respects. We don't get off to many hot starts. We, you know, we, if you remember one of my previous videos, we did a history of hot starts. Doesn't come along too often that you get six and one or six and two. Doesn't come along very often. And even though we're technically, I guess we're supposed to be in this rebuild, we're in a tremendous position to make the playoffs and make a run. Just make the playoffs. I mean, if 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 the previous two Giants Super Bowl runs and even this year's MLB postseason <laughs> prove anything, it's that. Just get into the postseason and then let's see what happens because good teams go down. Mediocre teams surprise people and go on a run. You know, they catch they catch a, a wave of momentum. So uh, hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that we would be at six and one right now. And Kenny Galladay has two catches. Hard to imagine that we're at six and one, six and two now. And Kadarius Stoney missed, missed all kinds of games and is not playing. 
Sterling Shepard injured, not playing. Wondell Robinson missed a bunch of games. Like it unfathomable that we'd be at six and one, six and two. That being said, I think a lot of Giants fans are like, I don't think that's sustainable. I think teams are going to catch up with that and be like, let's just do what the Seahawks did. And, 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 and that's the secret to success against the New York football giants. And so there, of course, there was a sect of, of Giants fans that wanted a, a wide receiver one. I was not wanting that or expecting that. I just wanted someone who is somewhat better than David Sills, Marcus Johnson, Richie James. There you go. I have confidence in Darius Slayton and I have confidence in Wandale Robinson, even though they uh, have a tendency to just straight up ghost us during some games. I don't know if that's a result of uh, what the defenses are showing or, or sending our way or if it's just not in the not in the cards, not in the game plan for that for that uh, contest. But to me, it's like, all right, I feel OK to good about Slayton and Robinson. They will not take over games. They will make a big play or two during a game, but I don't know that I have the kind of reliability or trustworthiness in them to be that consistent producer. So you need that. I feel like you need, especially with Bellinger going down, I felt like that player could be in the form of a receiver or a tight end. So why not go after a tight end or a receiver? And if you get both, great. Because we were in desperate need. If this Seahawks game showed anything, it was that we're in desperate need of personnel on the offensive side of the ball. And maybe this is the the whole strategy is, well, we're going to get Galladay back eventually healthy. So that will be as if we picked up someone, a wide receiver one, even though even when he, he has been healthy, he's just not. He's just not a presence at all. Not on the radar. And then a tight end. I think the tight end might have been the way to go, seeing that Bellinger is out for six weeks with the broken eye socket. I guess it could have been worse. Uh, he's not going to miss the entire season, and maybe we'll get him back for the playoff push, which would be sweet. But seeing the trades that did happen, I don't see why we couldn't have made a move, especially with 11 picks, dude. Freaking 11 picks. And I get, like, if... If we rolled into the up to this trade deadline and we had like six picks, gotcha. We don't have any draft capital. We need every single pick. Gotcha. We're not making any moves. 11 picks, dude. We can't get rid of like two of those, three of those, four of those, dude. We can't get rid of those or future picks. Let's get a little creative here. Um, and I, I don't think I was asking for uh like a wide receiver one or even a wide receiver two, dude. I'll take a wide receiver three at this point because we don't have a wide receiver. We're, we're like, oh, I might let's have four wide receiver threes on this team. That's what we need because the, I mean, <sighs> Darius Slayton almost didn't make the team. Richie James is not uh, like he's a punt returner, kick returner who sometimes can be in a four wide set. Marcus Johnson is like David Sills is a practice. Like what? That's what that was was what was so frustrating about this trade deadline is like the pr asking price is too high. The asking price is too high. The asking price is too high. It's like, brother, all eyes are on you in this 2023 draft. Because if you fuck up this 23 NFL draft, the people are going to point back to this trade deadline and be like, well, we had the opportunity. We had all these drafts uh, capital that we could have given up parted with. You're telling me that we're going to lose, that every single one of those 11 players is going to make an impact next season? Probably not. But it, my guess is the approach is a buckshot shotgun approach where it's like, well, if we make 11 picks that we feel strongly about and half of them pan out, 
that's a good draft. Six, five or six guys that are people that you can extend and be on a rookie contract, which I guess never happens anymore. <laughs> then we're all gravy. But you're telling me that we can't make an impact with like eight picks. I just, I don't know. You don't want to mortgage your future, but like you have an opportunity right there in front of you. Who's to say what the hell is going to happen in 2023? I just, and I understand that it, the roster is going to look a lot different in 2023. We, we've had that pounded into our heads repeatedly. In this year's draft class, there were how many picks? I guess we did have like 11 picks or something like that. Three of them or four of them went down with like season ending injuries. And then we've had, you know, I don't know. I just would have liked to see something. Just something that says, hey, we understand this is an issue. We understand, we hear the fans. And that that was also part of this rhetoric was this, uh, well, Gettleman would have given up draft picks for a short-term rental that wouldn't have panned out. And the reason we're in this position is because David Gettleman would make a trade and make a trade and sacrifice her future to win in the present. I have more trust and faith in Joe Shane to not do that. Like I was not, uh, crazy about the Leonard Williams trade. People are saying that he's on a similar level, like a poor man's Aaron Donald. Okay. At the time, our defensive line was not an issue. I, I don't think. I thought we had a decent defensive line, and I thought that we could have ran with what we had, and it wouldn't have cost us nearly as much for Leonard, you know, to to as it would to keep Leonard Williams. So that trade was a little bit like, what are we doing? Defensive line is not a position of need. He's going to cost a lot of money, and if we don't resign him, it's going to be a horrible trade, and we're also losing. So it's like, even though that people thought that we were going to turn things around and finish strong, and maybe make a push to make the playoffs. I just, I didn't agree with it, but wide receiver is a position of need. And you now have traded away Tony, who apparently was, is active now and healthy shocker. And we could really use him right now. <laughs> Galladay. I don't even know what his timetable is. I guess they're just like, you know what? People are saying it's the hip injury that he had surgery on. It's just, it hasn't fully healed. And I don't know that it will ever fully heal. Um, so I just, Woof, dude. Woof. And now everyone has this after the trade deadline comes and goes and we didn't make a move. Everyone has this restored faith in Kenny Galladay to come back and be like a wide receiver one. What, what, what makes what makes you think that what leads you to think that they weren't making any kind of effort to get him the ball when he was on the field. He rarely saw the field. And when he was on the field, they weren't getting the ball. And when they did get in the ball, he either dropped it or they missed them. So now it's like he's going to come back and be our savior. Listen, would be a hell of a story, would be a great story. And it, it's a nice to see story. I'm not betting on that. And it, like now we're all going to push all our <laughs> confidence into Kenny Galladay. OK, sure. So I would have loved either a wide receiver or a tight end. If we got both, I would have been feeling pretty good about uh, the future of this season because I care about this season. You know, I understand. OK. If we were in the same boat as we were with the Leonard Williams trade, where it's like we're two and five, three and four, even four and four. Mm, no, I, yeah, I think it's great that we're three and four, four and four, two and five. Like we're on pace to beat last year's uh, season win total. Great. But I don't think we need to make any kind of move. I'm not even asking for a splashy move, dude. Just a move or two just to like, because I don't I mean, I listen that what they've been able to do with this roster is stellar outstanding, incredible, unpredictable. No one saw this coming. 
They've squeezed everything they can of this roster, but you're now it's starting to catch up with them. So why not bolster the roster where you need to? Because like, I understand the goal is long-term winning and long-term. I just don't know that you want to look too much into the future here. It's such a great opportunity to take advantage of what's going on. And the schedule is only going to get tougher, you know, and that's why it sort of feels like we're punting on the season. That's the feeling I get. To not, I mean, I mean, look at these teams making moves, and you could say that these teams, are, it's a, and they're, it's like these teams are making De- David Gettleman moves where they're desperate and they want to save their job and they're making transactions that they probably shouldn't. I understand all that. I mean, the Dolphins, okay, in the same division as the Bills, who everyone is like already handed them the Lombardi Trophy. The freaking Dolphins are making moves, dude, because they want to compete with the bills and they don't want to just sit on their hands and be like, and just like, okay, well let's just hand the division and the conference to the bills. No, they're making moves, acquiring Bradley Chubb from the Broncos for chase Edmonds and a bunch of picks acquiring Jeff Wilson from the Niners to, to, to fill the void left by, uh, Chase Edmonds. I mean, you know, they felt like they needed a better pass rush and to shore up the defense. They went out and did it. Did they completely mortgage their future? I don't think so. And Chubb's a young pass rusher. You know, the Steelers picking up William Jackson the third, but dealing Chase Claypool. Kind of weird. The Bears, who are like, feel like they have some, uh, some kind of renewed sense of purpose <laughs> this season, feel like they've got something cooking, even though they got smashed by the Cowboys on Sunday. They pick up Roquan Smith or they deal Roquan Smith, pick up Chase Claypool. Uh, You know, the Falcons acquiring Calvin Ridley (laughs) or sending Calvin Ridley to the Jaguars and Dean Marlowe to the Bills, but yet picking up Rashad Fenton, DB. The Colts, who are sellers, so they end up uh, getting Zach Moss for for Naheem Hines in draft picks. So it's just, you know, the Bills are not the Bills are not satisfied. I mean, the Bills making moves. Why? Why? They're why are the Chiefs trading for Kadarius Tony? Like these are teams that are in win now mode. They have they feel like they have the sense that this is their year, and they just need a, a a player or two. And that and that was the other uh, line of thinking or dialogue from a lot of fans was like, well, one or two players is not going to change not going to make us Super Bowl contenders this year. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know that? How do you know that a player's contributions are not going to. Did anyone think that David frickin Tyree was going to be a contributor in our Super Bowl run? If he's not on the roster, we don't win the, the Super Bowl. <laughs> Like, what the fuck, dude? But I know that the players that we have on the offensive side of the ball in that wide receiver room are not making a difference. They're just not. That's that's what is so deeply upsetting to me. The, the big one that I didn't understand is like TJ Hawkinson. Okay. Why not make a move for him? Why not? Bellinger's out. You have Tanner Hudson, some dude named Cager, and Andre Miller as your tight ends. Woof, dude. Fucking woof. You pick up Hawkinson. He's a young dude. He's got you you get him for another four years. That's your tight that's your tight end. One. And then you have Bellinger as your tight end two. That's a pretty good tight end room. And it's not gonna cost you a fortune. I just I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I mean, you know, uh Shane's explanation was don't shop hungry. And I get it. I've shopped hungry and it is a disaster. <laughs> you end up with like a three hundred dollar grocery bill. And then, uh, you know, a whole lot of package to go with it around the midsection. Build to the draft. Okay, okay, okay. You need 11 picks to rebuild this team? I just, I just, okay, cool. And you want to be able to sign Barkley Jones. I get it. I don't think Hawkinson's that expensive. I guess right now 
he is the number one tight end in the NFL, right? Behind Travis Kelsey, maybe, and some others. But I, he, above average tight end, I don't think he cost that much. I just don't I just don't know why you wouldn't make a harder push for that. My proposals are simple. The Lions and Panthers and maybe the Jaguars. <laughs> who else is a seller in the in the AFC? Because it's you know Lions, Panthers, and NFC. Texans, Steelers, Jaguars, <sighs> Raiders, maybe are your sellers in the AFC. So I did some looking. There are two wide receivers in the Lions that I think you could bring them in and they'd be and they would contribute more so than the than the the crew that we got that we're rolling out there right now. Khalif Raymond. He's 28 years old. In the last four games, five targets, seven targets, six targets, four targets, three to five catches per game, anywhere from 40 to 80 yards receiving. You're telling me you wouldn't sign up for that right now? If you could get those numbers over the next four games, you wouldn't sign up for it? For like a fucking fifth round pick? Third round pick? You wouldn't sign up for that right now? That's the difference. Like Everyone's like, everyone wants a di- we, we can't afford a wide receiver one, splashy wide receiver one. It doesn't have to be a wide receiver one that you're tossing at, you know, 10 targets to. You got you give this guy five targets, half the load. He's going to give you 40 to 50 yards, which is more than anyone has been able to give us in that wide receiver room outside of Robinson and Slayton. Am I wrong? Josh Reynolds, 27 years old. He had uh, 10 targets against Minnesota, eight targets against C- Seattle, and then 10 targets against the, the Patriots. Six to seven catches in that three game stretch. I mean, he's fallen off a cliff since then. But is David Sills giving you that? Is Richie James giving you that? Is Marcus Johnson giving you that? No, no, no. I would sign up for that right now. We don't even have to throw you the ball 10 times. We just want to throw you the ball five times. And you can come up with 40 yards of receiving. I mean, it's literally, it's not, I'm not asking for a lot. <laughs> I'm not asking for the world here. LaVisca Chanel Jr. He's on the Panthers, Okay. You look at his stat line, he's only played in four games this year. Not great numbers, but six targets, five catches, 26 yards against the uh, against the Falcons. I don't know, dude. You know? Jamal Agnew, wide receiver from the Jaguars, who now have Ridley, Kirk, the Joneses. They got all kinds of receivers in that wide receiver room. They're, they're overflowing, overfloweth with receivers. Now, this guy, Jamal Agnew, averaged like one target a game. He did have six targets and four catches for 50 yards and two touchdowns against the Eagles. So it's like, that's a little bit of pro- that's promise right there. Not only that, he was an all pro punt returner with the, with the Lions in 2017. And he's a dynamite kick returner. We kind of need a punt returner and kick returner right now. That couldn't have been a move. So I don't know that this is all, like everyone's talking about, they, we only pay attention to like the high stakes moves that are going to draw a lot of headlines. I think there were some mid-level moves to make that would make the offense better. Not a, not a crazy amount better, but I don't think we're looking for a crazy amount better. I think we're looking for just something <laughs> but whatever dude i know uh in dable and and shame we trust but geez man nothing okay cool i mean that's uh, you know I, I guess the cap it's the cap i guess it has to be the cap that's so screwed right now that we're barely able to feel the team that we are now sad so that's the uh that's the NFL trade deadline talk. Let's, uh, I guess we'll talk about the the loss, the unfortunate loss to the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle against our former former giant, Geno Smith, going up against uh, just an absolute stud in Kenneth Walker. And apparently one of the top draft classes of this year, those rookies, especially on the offensive line, are just, they are uh, putting up 
and they are shutting up the haters because they did a phenomenal job. So last week we talked about, uh, we think this is going to be a run heavy game because both run defenses are porous at best. And, uh, <laughs> They showed up in this game, <laughs> both of them. I think uh, Barkley was held to something like 53 yards on 20 carries. Did have the one touchdown. Uh, Jones was, Daniel Jones was pretty much bottled up. Wasn't able to make any any kind of moves, whether designed or scrambling. And uh, it turned into uh, a game of turnovers, mistakes, and, and capitalizing on those mistakes. Yardage was, total yardage was fairly similar. Passing yards was... Fairly similar. I think uh, Seattle had the edge in those two categories as they did in the rushing yard category, but not like a huge discrepancy. They did average more, one more yard per play than us. Um, but ultimately, in my head, and I think a lot of fans would agree, came down to two fumbles by Richie James. You know, one fumble sets up the field goal, another fumble sets up the touchdown. And yeah, sure, if he fields those. Maybe it saves us ten points, but then again, we got you know a touch, a tutty off a. a the amazing strip strip by Dory Jackson deep in Seattle territory, thanks to the Scottish hammer, Jamie Gillen pinning, doing his job and pinning them deep, which has been one of the major knocks on him thus far in the season was like, we need to start pinning guys back inside the 10 and inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the five would be great. So could you do that? Great. And so he was able to do that. So, okay. You take away, the seven points from our turnover ticket, there are 10 points. You know, you're still looking at a game that's 17-6, you know. We did allow five sacks, which I think is in line with expectations considering we were without Ben Bredesen. We were without Evan Neal. Josh Azudu still has, even though he looked impressive in Bredesen's relief last week, still not really up to snuff where we want him to be. Ty- Tyree Phillips serviceable against the Jaguars, maybe not so much against the Seahawks who brought the fricking thunder. Um, we still converted more third downs than Seattle six of 16 versus their three of 13. And we dominated time of possession 33 minutes. I mean, there was a period in the third quarter where, you know, the quarter is 15 minutes long. I think we had the ball for 10 plus minutes, maybe 12 in the third quarter, but it was the penalties that really killed us in the turnovers, which is something that we've had in check for pretty much every game, especially every, every win. Um, but 0 for 1 on 4th down. Seattle was 2 for 2. They had 19 first downs. We had 14. Jones, not a great day. 17 31, 176. No touchdowns, no interceptions. And I think he fumbled once. And then, uh, you know, Slayton, 5 catches, 66 yards on 6 targets. That's exactly where we would like him to be. Exactly where you need to be. But the next, the so then guess who's next in targets for this game? Marcus Johnson was 6 targets, just as much as Darius Slayton. He had one catch for three yards and he led the wide receivers in snaps. Get him off the field. No more. No more. And this is what I'm talking about. Why is he leading the team in snaps? Why is he leading the team in targets? This guy was not on a roster. We picked him up. Why? You don't think there's someone else out there that can fill in for Marcus Johnson and do better? If you don't think that, you're wrong. One L. Robinson, three targets. That's inexcusable. Why is he not getting five, six targets? Or more. That just—it's one of two things for me, and I, you know, I haven't watched the All Twenty Two or any of that nonsense. But I would think maybe Seattle's doing everything in their power to take him away. <laughs> they know he's strictly an underneath, you know, close to line of scrimmage type target, and so they're pressing and not allowing him to get separation off the line. Okay, he's a small dude. Maybe that's the case. But why are we not motioning him? Why are we not doing jet sweeps, the shovel pass, the all those things that can. Um, 
create space for him and get him separation. Saquon had five targets, three catches, nine yards. That's just a horrible job by uh, by Kafka. You know, Tanner Hudson, five targets, three catches, 15 yards. He had more snaps than Kit Chris Myrick, and he got absolutely truck-sticked on the sideline that one that one play. <laughs> Why are we throwing the ball to Tanner Hudson five times? Why are we throwing to Marcus Johnson six times? Like this is, this is, and this is why we're, we're staring down the barrel of a very rough second half of the season. If that's the case, if you're seeing box scores and summaries like that, I don't see many W's. I just don't. You give TJ Hawkinson five targets. Hmm. You give Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds, Jamal Agnew six targets. We've seen what they've done with six targets. So that's my point is, no, we're not going to get a guy that you're going to feed the ball 10 times, 12 times a game. But I think if you were to give them the similar targets than the people that we have on the roster, they're going to do more with it or they're going to do better. And that could be the difference. Not asking for much. Richie James only had four snaps on offense and then he had the two fumbles. So it's it, you got to think that he's in the doghouse at, at the very least and uh, possibly on the outs. Five, 11, five of 11 drives, offensive drives ended in three and outs. And you're telling me that that's not a byproduct of the lack of weaponry. The fact that they they're like, hey. This offense runs through Barkley and Jones, and they don't really have a valid, a valid uh, third weapon. Now you could say Slayton, you could say Wandale, but it's like in terms of uh, linebacking crew, hey, you have two keys, Barkley and Jones. And then in terms of secondary, hey, it's either Robinson or Slayton. Those are the two that are going to kill us. None of these other, the other none of these other guys are going to kill us. And so that was the Seattle game plan, and they crushed it, executed well. Now there were, to me, you could point to the penalties. You know, you had that stupid penalty blindside block that negated a a Richie James big return, or it might've been Gary Brightwell. I think it was Richie James. Negated that would have put us in great prime territory to at least get three. And you had uh, a few other penalties that are just like ticky tack type stuff that either prolonged a drive or, or negated something special on defense. So, um, but there were three drives, Giants drives in particular that I want to point out. Drive number seven was uh, at the beginning of the second half. Uh, we started at our own eight. Thanks, Gary Brightwell. And we went 14 plays, 79 yards, and it took almost nine minutes off the clock. We kicked a field goal. That is how you lose games. The, ne- the very next drive, it was started with two minutes and 42 seconds left in the third quarter. Started at our 28, 12 plays, 45 yards. Field goal. Six minutes and 25. Six minutes, 25 seconds off the clock. Can't do it, dude. The 10th drive. This is when, uh, I believe this is after Seattle went up 27 to 13. It was when Kenneth Walker had that ridiculous run to uh, put him up two scores. We get the ball. Now there's less than five minutes left. Odds are, you know, the, the odds, probabilities of us coming back and winning are shrinking. I get it. We started our 25. We went nine plays. 46 yards, two minutes, 50 seconds, and we, and we turn it over on downs. I tweeted this out, and I, I'm going to stand by this. I think this was Mike Kafka's worst play-calling game of the season, but it's it kind of hard to blame him because of who you have. Like, once they take away Barkley, once they've figured out Jones, and once they've taken care of Slayton and Robinson, who do you have? Who's going to beat them? You know, and the, you know, their pressure, they dialed up some great pressure. Um, they look like the Seahawks defenses of old 
to be honest. The Legion of Boom. But some examples of Kafka's kind of subpar play calling. QB draw on first and 10. We're down by two two scores and you think a QB draw with Jones for like three or four yards, that's going to move the needle? What's going on? And I get it. You want to avoid third and long situations even though we actually do our best in third and long. <laughs> like We usually convert on third and long. Um, I just don't understand that that call. It doesn't in- exactly inspire like this is the, this is how the comeback starts. That's like, oh, we're giving up. QB draw? What? And then second and one with an opportunity to pick up an easy first down to extend the drive and at least uh, get some momentum going, you pass and you get income and then you get sacked and it's now third and six, third and seven. Like it's dumb. It's not smart. <sighs> Leonard Williams led the team with five QB hits. He had five solo tackles, three assists, one sack, one tackle for loss. Timon Fox had a big game, undrafted free agent, six solos, two two assists, two tackles for loss. Xavier McKinney had the big sack coming off uh, the front side. Gino didn't see him. He was unblocked. Put a put a pretty nice hit. Laid the lumber on on Gino Smith. But I gotta say this. So if, if people were praising Fabian Moreau, I mean Adore Jackson had an amazing game, even though he did get he did get beat on the double move by Lockett for the go-ahead score, and he did get fooled by DK Metcalf on the Kenneth Walker rushing touchdown. He still had a hell of a game, in my opinion. You know, if only everyone else played like him. I know people were praising Fabian Moreau towards the beginning of the game, and I agree. I thought he was playing well, but eventually, I think DK Metcalf proved too much for him. Also, how the hell were DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett playing? And playing at full steam ahead as if nothing had happened. They were talking about DK Metcalf like possibly needing surgery days before. And and Lockett was questionable with something going on. And they both played and they both looked like top of their game. Metcalf had like 10, 10 or so targets or something like that. <laughs> 10 targets, 6 catches, 55 yards and a touchdown. Lockett, six t- 8 targets, 5 catches, 63 yards and a touchdown. Marquise Goodwin also 5 targets, 4 catches, 33 yards. You, t- you tell me we can't find a friggin' Marquise Goodman. Goodwin. <laughs> You're telling me we can't find someone like that? Okay. But here's here's what the note is. The two notes from the defensive side of ball, or three, I guess, for me. I know people like Kayvon Thibodeau, and I understand he's a rookie, but I kind of feel like we need more from him. <laughs> Don't you? He had one quarterback hit against the Seahawks. And as far as I'm, from what I'm looking at, and, you know, NFL.com, their, um, <laughs> their box scores are never right, which is insane to me that you can have such inaccurate box scores and summaries but i think he was left off the box score Kevin thibodeau zero tackles one quarterback hit dude i and i know people are saying that he's getting held on every play but you can you know we've recently learned now that you can legally hold and, it, and it's basically on a rip move there's some move that a defender can do where the I guess the the lineman can just straight up hold you. And my gut says that's exactly what's happening with Kayvon every single time. He's doing this move that allows the offensive lineman to hold him, and the refs are not going to call it. But yet he is expecting a, a flag almost every time he's doing it and looking for a flag, and he's not getting it. Things have got to change. You know, we need him putting up numbers, maybe not to the same level of Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. But we need something. We need something, you know. There's so many games that we can say, like, oh, well, he didn't show up. He's not going to show up in the box score. But his contributions are, no. I'm just, that. you know what that sounds like? That sounds exactly what was happening with Leonard Williams, where it was like, okay, he's not showing up in the box score. But if you watch the game, he's doing these little things. that It's like, all right, I'm going to need you to show up in the box score. <laughs> like, I'm going to need you to get sacks. 
I pressures hits. I'm going to need that from you. I'm just, I need it. I can't, we can't keep going along with this, you know, pressures. Thibodeau had two pressures. QB knockdowns. Thibodeau had one QB knockdown. He had one hurry. You know, Leonard Williams had four quarterback knockdowns. He had six pressures. You know, that's, I don't, I don't know that he, that KT needs to be on that level just yet, but let's get a little bit closer to that. Let's not have so much disparity between those two numbers. I don't know, dude. I don't think I'm that. I don't think it's that unjustified for me to for me to want that. Like everyone's very high on him. He's got great personality. We all love him. But like you got to start producing like box score numbers. <laughs> like Tate Crowder has lowest snap count of the season, 22, played 34% of the defensive snaps. He was outsnapped by Micah McFadden. And like people are going to read into that and say, oh, well, Crowder's on their way out. It might be as simple as the coaching staff felt like McFadden gave him a better shot in coverage or stopping the run. Felt like he's a better run stopper. Hard to tell. Um, I'm not reading a ton into it. It could very, very much flip the next game against the Texans. And then I was sad to see no Landon Collins, to be honest, you know. He had seven snaps on defense and maybe, you know, maybe that's the case of like, well, he's, he's really just a specialty linebacker type situation. Cause I think what I, from what I saw in the game at Jacksonville, and I don't know if I saw it too much in the game against Seattle was he was spying the hell out of the running back. It was usually like a definite passing down situation. And he was, you could see it as soon as the ball snap, he is this like locked and loaded on that running back. So maybe that was a, a similar case here. I'd still like to see him get more snaps, only 11% of snaps. Would like to see him get to that kind of 15%, 20%. That would be, that'd be nice. I think that would be, that would make me feel better about how we're using him and stuff like that. Those are my notes on defense. Um, Gunnell was great as usual. Gillen showed up almost had a almost had a third he had two inside the 20 with a 16 with a long of 69 i mean the guy is underrated and undervalued by a lot of giants fans i think giants fans we appreciate and acknowledge graham Gano. we we almost well we almost take him for granted a lot of time we're like all right here's three points it's like this is a 52 yard field goal this is like not automatic even for justin tucker <laughs> so but I think there there need to be uh, some flowers. I hate saying that, but give some flowers to Jamie Gillen. He's getting better at pinning opponents. And uh, like there was one point where we're kind of deep in our territory. And it's like if he shanks this or if he decides like I'm just going to hang this as high as possible. Like you're looking at the Seahawks getting the ball like close to our territory. And instead, he launches the thing to the moon and he flips the field. It's so crucial and critical. I mean, that I mean. That is the reason we scored our first touchdown. Pin him at the two, and then Adoree comes up with the strip. <laughs> Who knows if we score that touchdown if we get that ball at the, like the 30 <laughs> or the 20. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to score because our offense just was like struggling big time. I don't think I... I know Brightwell had that big return against, what was it, Carolina. I don't know if I want him as our kick returner anymore. There are too many times where he's, he's taken the, and there was a graphic, I forget where I found it, but there's a graphic of like uh, how many teams, when they take it out of the end zone, make it to the 25, and it's like maybe five or six teams, maybe seven, are reaching the 25 or beyond when they take it out of the end zone. He's got to learn, like, if it's going to the end zone and, and it's going to, like, just, let it go. Let's just get to the 25. Because I don't know that. I don't, I don't know. Ugh. It's tough to swallow seeing Geno Smith just be such an effective quarterback making perfect throws. I mean, the double move to Lockett right on the money. Even that other deep throw to Lockett that Lockett dropped. I mean, that 
that's not on Gino. It was right in his hands. And it's, it's kind of funny to me that I wrote an article, I forget for who, might have been G-Main HQ, might have been, I can't remember, NFL Spin Zone. But when the Giants initially signed Geno Smith, I was like, he has the potential to be the next Kerry Collins. And, you know, Kerry uh, Collins, very highly lauded, coming out of college, rookie quarterback with a lot of expectations, didn't necessarily live up to the expectations and fell out of favor and with his uh, the team that drafted him, went to... Uh, Went to an, another team, got a second chance at life, got a second chance to start and redeem himself and would uh, would excel. And I thought that could be the case with Geno Smith with the Giants because, I, you know, Eli was kind of on the decline. Um, you know, he hadn't shown much in that 2017 season. Not that a lot of it was his fault. I mean, a crappy offensive line and no receivers will do that to you. And you can see that's what kind of happened with Daniel Jones in this game. It's like, you know, I don't have an offensive line and I don't have any receivers. So I, I equated, I compared Geno Smith to, I was like, Geno Smith could be Kerry Collins 2.0 for the Giants, you know, in, in being that stopgap between generational court, franchise quarterbacks, you know, um, you know, he didn't come in to start initially. He just came in as a backup that they were going to coach up and they thought that he could be a starter. And that's what happened with Kerry Collins. I felt like that could have happened with Geno Smith. Do I think that he was the next franchise quarterback for the Giants? No. But what? I mean, Kerry Collins in his four years here, not bad. Super Bowl appearance, I'll take that. Another playoff appearance, I'll take that. You know, while you try and find that, the Eli Manning, right? That next big quarterback, I just felt like uh, Geno might have been the fit there. And of course, he gets to start ruining. He ends Eli's consecutive starts streak and uh plays so poorly against the Raiders <laughs> it's like okay never mind because at least when Kerry Collins would come in in 99 to relieve uh I think it was like Kent Graham something like that it's like at least he put up some good numbers you know and gave us chances to win but I mean this is you know I, you I would want to see I'm actually happy for Gino to a certain extent because I like when people that are written off come back with a vengeance and are able to show their value and demonstrate that they uh, are capable. You know, we put so much pressure on a lot of these quarterbacks to succeed right out the gate and we write them off if they don't do it in a rookie year. It's like, holy crap. You know, I mean, people are willing to give up on Trevor Lawrence already. It's like, what? Okay. You know, for every Mahomes that comes hot out the gate, you're going to have a dozen guys that don't do that. And then get buried and don't aren't given a second chance. Like I look at Marcus Mariota, lost his his job in Tennessee. I think he went to Vegas, backed up there. Now he's in Atlanta, and now he could have that team poised for a playoff run. I just so I as much as I hated the post game press conference and everything that he said after, <laughs> like thanking Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese for the opportunity. It's like. Ugh. And a lot of what they said just made you think, and as of right now, if you look at the playoff picture, like we are, they, we would face them. We're the six seed to the three seed. We would then go to Seattle. And I got to tell you, I would freaking love that rematch. I would love it to go into Seattle and, and, and take them down. And so they beat us in the regular season. That is, that is the story that I'm all about that I'm here for. And, you know, my concern going into this game was, Kenneth Walker, and he didn't do much. He put up similar numbers to what uh, 
to what Saquon Barkley put up, you know? 18 carries, 51 yards. You know, I don't know that that's, that's not, that's not that crazy. So I, I, I was like, uh, you know, in my worst nightmares, I was picturing him getting like 20, you know, 20 some odd carries, a hundred and some odd yards, but 18 carries, 51 yards and a touch. And I think most, the bulk of those rushing yards came on that one touchdown run when it was from like 20 yards out or something like that, which Tate Crowder misses the tackle. Not that it I mean, he dove and got a piece, but Xavier McKinney, I feel like he's got to make that tackle now. Said he kind of over pursues and then he gets twisted around, loses him. Um, Mike Jackson, Jesus. I don't even think I included him in my preview last week, but he comes up with three passes defended, seven solo tackles. Woof. Again, Michael Jackson. Ryan Neal, their safety, six solos, two tackles for loss. Uh, Uchenna Nwasu. Seems like a game wrecker. Five solo tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss. Cody Barton had a sack. Puna Ford, great name, had a sack and a tackle for loss. And then Bruce Irvin only had one solo, one assist, one tackle for loss. But it was just a nice little reminder that that dude is legit or was legit when he basically crashed the Giants' backfield and and pushed Daniel Jones into Saquon Barkley. (laughs) It's like, oh, boy. You are a one-man wrecking crew, but that was basically his only highlight. So so looking at the playoff standings, looking at the playoff status, Eagles, they win again. It looks like they probably, I mean, they're going to get the number one seed in the NFC, right? Unless the, I mean, the Vikings with TJ Hawkinson. But, uh, so yeah, it's either Eagles or Vikings vying for number one. And then uh, you would have Seahawks three, Falcons four. Four, which the Falcons should not have won that game. I'm actually just rewatching it on NFL Network now, and like the Panthers had it, and then DJ Moore, <laughs> Giants trade target, catches a, a incredible throw by PJ Walker. Moore catches it for the touchdown. It's tied. All they have to do is kick the extra point, and they win. And of course, DJ Moore <laughs> removes his helmet and gets penalties 15 yards. They miss the extra point, and they lose in overtime. So Panthers going to Panther. I guess is the expression, right? But the Falcons, you know, it's games like that and having the ball bounce your way and the luck of something like that that can that can really propel you, which is something the Bucks haven't had happen for them so far. So Falcons four, Cowboys five. I think that's going to stick. Giants are right now the sixth and then the Niners have the seventh at four and four. But then you have the Commanders at four and four. I think the Rams are going to give people some problems, but I think they missed the playoffs. I honestly think the Bucks cannot turn it around. I think they're going to miss the playoffs. I don't think the Packers are going to turn around. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks and Packers make late pushes to possibly get in the playoffs, but I think they just miss out. Cardinals uh, are going to, are the Cardinals. I mean, I just, ugh. the Saints are intriguing to me, really intriguing. I think if anyone makes a, a case to, uh, a run for the Falcons money for that NFC South division title. It could be the saints. Why? Great question. I feel like the defense is coming around. Feels like uh, if they can ever figure out how to make Taysom Hill work with Andy Dalton and Alvin Kamara, I don't know. It just seems like they've, they've got something, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think, um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if we end up getting the seven seed and then have to go to the Minnesota to play the Vikings, Ooh. which I mean, I don't know. 
Would you rather go to Minnesota and play the Vikings in the wild card, or would you rather go to Seattle and play the Seahawks? I guess we'll find out because we're going to, you know, we're going to end up playing Minnesota later in the year. So that would be a good litmus test, I guess, barometer of measuring stick of how we compete and compare with the Vikings. But I feel like now that we know what the Seahawks are, but Seattle's such a tough environment to play in, whereas Minnesota's like not as tough. So would you rather go to Minnesota and play in the Vikings? Hmm. Very interesting. Strength of schedule, not great. <laughs> if we're looking at, you know, making a run and getting that postseason berth, playoff berth, the strength of schedule is not exactly in our favor. The commanders have the toughest schedule in the league heading down the stretch. And that's because they got us, the Cowboys and Eagles, and we all have really good records. So that makes sense. But don't, I would not look past Taylor Haneke, man. That freaking dude. He's just, he's just, I know a lot of people are saying he's like a, a gunslinger, poor man's Brett Favre, but yeah, that doesn't mean you overlook him or look past him. I mean, he almost led, you know, in 2020 when they won the division at seven and nine and they hosted the Buccaneers because they won the NFC East. They almost took down Tampa and Tampa went on to win the Super Bowl. I never forget. <laughs> like, so I, I, you know, I think with Carson Wentz, I, I like automatically dialed up W's for both of those commanders games. Now it's not such a lock in my opinion. Then we have the second toughest uh, slate ahead, both in the division and in the conference and then the fourth hardest in the league. And then behind right behind us is the Cowboys with the fifth hardest schedule in the league and the third toughest in the conference and division. So I guess if you're a team like the Rams, the Bucks, the Packers, uh, teams like that that are kind of on the outside looking in right now, that's kind of what your hope is. Like the Packers have a fairly easy schedule heading down. I mean, they have the, I think they have the toughest of the NFC North, but I, I think like, uh, I think the Packers of all the teams on the outside looking in might have like the Bucks and Packers. I think they will come on strong in the second half of the season. I just don't think it'll be enough. So yeah, right now we have a 82% chance of making the playoffs. So went down, went down from 90%. You know, uh, according to playoff status, we have a 29% chance of getting that, that fifth, our best odds are getting that fifth playoff spot, but I just don't see it. I think the Cowboys are going to get it. And then our next highest probability is that sixth spot. But I, I honestly, given the current state of the team and like our, the injuries are piling up and I think they're going to be too much, to be honest. I think they've done an amazing job, astounding job of being able to, to put, to, to do, make the most out of what they've been handed, you know, lemons, lemonade, that whole shtick. But I don't know that they can keep it up, especially with it. It's like continuing to get mounting and mounting injuries. But I do look forward to the day when we get everyone back. <laughs> I think that's going to be such a great day when we have Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux and Kenny Galladay and so-and-so and so forth. Daniel Bellinger. That'll be a great day. And hopefully we're still in a position to make the playoffs when that happens. Um, so I thought I would take a moment since we don't have a game next week. Since we do have a bye this week. To take a look at how we've done historically after the bye week. So the bye week was instituted in 1990. There were no buys uh, before 1990. You had to go back to 1966, I think, or 65 when there were buys. And I didn't go back to that time. 66 or before, I didn't go back to the... It's just such a different time. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I know curses last forever. I get it. But 
Um, so went back all the way to 1990 to look at our buys, similar to what I did with the historical hot starts. I thought it'd be cool to, to look at the our record after the buy. Under Joe Judge's tenure, we were one and one. We had the blowout loss at Tampa. That was uh, excruciating in so many ways, um, especially how tough we played them in 2020. I thought that we would put up a similar performance in 21. Not happening. And then, and well, it turns out, I mean, that was the, I think that was the game that Daniel Jones should not have even played because of his neck. Cause wasn't it, wasn't it the week before we beat the Eagles and that's when he suffered the neck injury or was, I think he suffered the neck injury in this game and then still played against Philadelphia and won. Holy crap, dude. Interesting that we have not heard anything more about his neck. I guess it's like fully healed. I don't know. 2020, we had, uh, we had the, we got the W over the, the Bengals who were like, didn't have Joe Burrow and we're banged up and we beat them by two and it came down to the last drive. Defense had a huge stand. That was the Nico Lelos game. And then Pat Shermer's tenure, two two games after the bye, one in 2019 after week 12, we lost to the Bears 1914. That came down to the last drive where we just came up short. Um, another knock against Daniel Jones, I guess, not being clutch, not being able to win close games and come from behind. He's kind of disproved that this year. 2018, we had a week, a win after the week in week 10 after the bye. That was, uh, Eli was at the helm and we won at San Francisco 27 23. That's when he threw that, uh, kind of out flat pattern to Sterling Shepard, who came down just in bounds. He had the game winning catch. Um, that was Pat Shermer's tenure. So one and one with Pat. Ben McAdoo, we were one and one, lost in week nine uh in 2017 that was the that was the loss that really was the end beginning of the end i guess for ben mcadoo 51 to 17 to the rams at metlife stadium that was the death knell and that's when players were giving up literally giving up on the field there are multiple clips of like janoris jenkins eli apple like multiple defenders just being like fuck this noise (laughs) i am out Cash the check and let me put up my feet. Enjoy a little dancing with the stars. <laughs> so that was that was Ben McAdoo's tenure. Uh, oh no, in 2016 there was a win in Week Nine. That was the win at home. I I believe I was at that game. We beat the Eagles and Carson Wentz 2023. That was Carson Wentz's rookie year. Came down the last drive. Defense made a huge stand, which was I mean that basically was like every game in 2016. It was just the defense coming up huge at the end of games, which didn't happen in 2015. Hmm. And but it appears to be happening in 2022, sort of. Yes, definitely. So that's that's why the comparisons are tough because it's like you have ex players like Jonathan Casillas saying like we were winning in 2016, but McAdoo had zero control over the clubhouse. But it's like you're hoping and praying that that's not the case with 22 Giants, where Dable has his ducks in a row, has everyone in lockstep and is not, you know, not overlooking things because of wins, which I don't think he would, but interesting to, uh, we're not, it's not exactly apples to apples there. So Coughlin was not too bad after the, I think out of all the coaches we've had other than Parcells, I guess he had the best record when it came to, uh, games after the bye. He was seven and five after the bye. Historically, and I'll get to the other records in a little bit, but he was seven and five. Uh, 2015, 2014 were both losses at Washington. We lost 2014. That's when we were down 20 to nothing. And then we had a late comeback come up short. That was like that, uh, that bonkers catch by Odell Beckham down the left sideline where it was one hand, he dove one handed and caught it almost as impressive, if not more impressive than the catch in 2014 against Cowboys. 
2014 was a major big time loss in week nine against the Colts, 40 to 24. Uh, and then there was one, two, three, four, five, six straight years of wins after the bye. 2012, we demolished Aaron Rodgers and the Packers 38-10 on Sunday Night Football. It's crazy how I've forgotten about that. I know it was 10 years ago. I know we didn't make the playoffs that year, but we were kind of a wagon, but not really. Like, I felt like we were poised. I, you know, I think after that win, I mean, that's week 12. After that win, I, I think everyone was feeling pretty good about our chances. And then we got our doors blown off by uh, the Ravens and I want to say the Bengals or who else was it? There was some other team we got just got trounced. I know one of them was the Ravens and that was like, okay, yeah, we're not going to the playoffs. Um, 2011, we won the week eight contest against the Dolphins after the bye. 2017, we scored 10 in the fourth quarter to, to pull that one out. 2010, we hit a week nine win after the bye crushing the Seahawks 41 to seven. That's another year, 2010, where it's like 2010 and 2012, we didn't make the playoffs, but fuck it felt there were games after games, some games where I was like, we're winning this goddamn thing. We're winning the whole thing. Um, Oh nine. We had a win in week 11 after the bye in overtime over Atlanta, 34, 31, uh, 2008, we won our week five game after the bye against Seattle crushed them 44 to six. Oh seven was a loss in week 10, 31 to 20. I think I went to that game. I had season tickets that year. We did not do well at home that year, which was interesting. It's like I had season tickets to their, their Super Bowl season and they didn't win at all. <laughs> that was a tough one. I think that final score doesn't reflect how close it was or how intense it was. Cause I remember that being, I remember that being uh, kind of a much closer than that final score would indicate. 06, we won in week five after the bye, beat Washington 19-3, lost week six of 2005 after the bye uh, to Dallas 16-13. Oof, hate that. 04, we lost week seven. That was Coughlin's first year. We lost the week seven game after the bye to Detroit 28-13. I think that was with uh, Kurt Warner was still the quarterback. But I think he might have made the switch. I think he made the switch after week eight to Eli. And then that's when the season went to shit. <laughs> People forget. Um, <laughs> but it was necessary, right? So then we'll look at Fossil's tenure. Fossil freaking stunk after the bye. I mean, like all time bad after the bye. One and six. One and six after the bye. In 03, we lost week five after the bye to Miami 23-10. That's when uh, I believe it was uh, the three-headed monster with Miami. Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown doing the Wildcat and all that. Was that 03 or 08? I, mean, I probably have it mixed up. Lost in 02 and week eight after the bye to Philly 17-3. Lost to Dallas in 2001 after the bye in week 13, 20-13. Won against Philadelphia 24-7 in 2000, uh, week nine. In 99, uh, week 10, we lost after the bye to Indianapolis 27-19. Lost in week nine of 98 to Washington 21-14. And we lost in week 11 of 97 season after the bye at Tennessee, but they were the Oilers talking Steve McNair, Eddie George as the Tennessee Oilers. We lost 10 to six. Yuck. Dan Reeves tenure wasn't much better. He was one and four after the bye in 96. He lost in week seven after the bye to Philadelphia, 1910. We won in week nine of 95 season at Washington, 24, 15. Lost at New Orleans in 94, week five, 27, 22. That, that would come back to, to hurt us, 
Tobitis right in the patootie. 93, we had two bye weeks. Can you imagine? I, I can't. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. I, I'm sure that I'm sure that the players might appreciate it, but like, I don't know. I don't like it. I think that was the only season that had two buys. So we lost week. We lost both of them, by the way. We lost week five after the bye uh, at Buffalo 17-14. God damn it. And then we lost week nine after the bye to the Jets 10 to six. God damn it. You win those two games. You don't have to worry about the last game of the season against Dallas. And then you have the number one seed and you host a game and you don't have to worry about going to friggin San Francisco where we got smoked. So that was Dan Reeves. Ray Hanley lost both of them. Week 5, 92 season, we lost to Oakland 13-10. Ugh. And then week 9 of the 91 season, we lost to Washington 17-13 after the bye. Ray Handley, yikes. Couldn't figure it out. I mean, uh, you know, the Big Blue VCR, I talk about them all the time. He's posting clips from the 91-92 season. Um, and it was and where Bill Parcells is like the commentator. So they, they're like peppering him with questions about, you know, what do you think about this current Giants team? And it's like, he said, you know, it's a lot of aging veterans. You know, it's a lot of guys that are, you know, came on in the mid to early 80s and are now like towards the end of their playing career, but still playing pretty good, at least on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, 13 points to Oakland, 17 points to Washington. It's not like we were getting our doors blown off, but I do think uh, offensively it was challenging, you know, because they had the whole QB controversy with Haas and, uh, and Phil. So... And then Bill Parcells only by week he won, obviously. Week six after a bye at Washington, 24 to 20. I think that was the Stephen Baker game where he he caught a touchdown. He caught a short pass and took it to the house. 70 some odd yards, 80 yards. So yeah, it's our history of not great. Not great. So all told, we're 13 and 20 as a franchise after the bye. Uh, Coughlin, obviously seven and five. Fossil, one and six. Reese, one and four. You know, Shermer, Judge, and McAdoo, all one and one. And then uh, Tuna. Big Tuna, Hanley 0-2, and, and then Big Tuna 1-0. So uh, we'll see how Dable treats it. You know, I know the the buy, I said this on Twitter, like uh, the buy comes at probably the best possible time for this team because they have so many freaking injuries. And it'd be nice just to rest guys and get them all back healthy for a very critical Houston Texans game uh, Sunday the 13th. I will be in Pullman, Washington that weekend <laughs> visiting a friend who I haven't seen probably since the wedding, my wedding that, uh, did not last. <laughs> uh, the wedding lasted. Yes. The marriage not. So I haven't seen him in a while. I'm going to go out there, but maybe I'll be able to catch the game because it'll be on earlier. My flight's later. So maybe I'll be able to go to a bar and catch that, or I just have to record it and watch it when I get home. But I would say this, we have one there. It, I have a feeling this, the postseason is going to come down to tiebreakers. Okay. And honestly, pop quiz hotshot. If someone said, hey, what are the divisional tiebreakers and what are the conference tiebreakers? And if I told you there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven tiebreakers, would you believe me? Probably not. And I'd say I'm confident in you guys. I have faith in you. I think you can get the first three, maybe five tiebreakers correct. Because it, after you get past the first three or five, it is just, it is mind numbing. So it's head to head. Y'all know that divisional record or and conference record. Okay, got it. Common games. Okay, then it's strength of victory, strength of schedule, points scored divided by points allowed, combined ranking conference team against conference teams, points scored versus points allowed to point differential for all teams, points differential for common games, points differential for all games, touchdown differential all games, coin flip. 
Could you imagine? I would actually like to, I, I'm a fan of chaos sometimes. I'm an agent of chaos, if you will. It would be cool to see, <laughs> it'd be super sweet to see everything be tied and it has to be a coin flip. Could you imagine? There's no way that, we'll, that uh, there would be such an uproar. There's no way they would allow that to happen. You People would petition and riot. You'd have people being like, nope. You can't do that. You have to play a wild card, like an extra wild card game between these two teams, like like the MLB used to do. It's like you're you're both tied. All right, one game playoff. Let's go. I feel like they should do that. If if all that else, I mean, you know, the odds of this happening are like you you you're better shot of hitting the Powerball, which I just played one point two billion dollars. No big deal. Um, but a coin flip, you cannot determine a playoff berth on a coin flip, dude. It seems so wrong, but uh. So yeah, with that in mind, knowing that divisional record is, is huge and conference record is big, and we're thinking about playoffs, this is where the remaining schedule, let's take a look at the remaining schedule and just see like what the most important games. Obviously, divisional games are critical. I don't know that there's a whole lot pointing to us having too much success against the Cowboys or Eagles. <laughs> they look like freaking juggernauts. Um, so I've kind of... You know, you know, you obviously as a fan, you want to win those games and maybe we could steal one. I don't know that we're going to be able to steal two. So our divisional record is not going to look great. <laughs> our divisional record is going to be like two and four um, if we can even sweep the commanders. So I think that's, you know, our remaining schedule. Like I said, it's like one of the toughest in the league. I mean, all all three other NFC East teams are just, you know. Even the commanders are going to be a thorn in our side. So that's why the Texans and the Colts are actually the least important other than overall record, right? So it's like you almost think if we have to lose games, let's just lose against the Texans and Colts and then win all the others, right? Um, but yeah, we got to pad, we got to pad the W column. That's for sure. So it's like these next two games, I don't want to say have to go 2-0, but man, that would go a long way if we could just beat the Texans and the Lions because then we're set up, we're at 8-2 and and we need probably, we need to find two to three more wins among the remaining games. You got to think that the Colts should be a win, you would think. So there's one and then you got to find one and, you know, my guess is all likelihood commanders one or two games that we win. And so that's where I'm, my head's at is I think, I mean, the Texans, I similar, I have a similar vibe as to when I did with the Jags. Luckily we're playing this game at home. And so I think that's going to, that's going to be huge for us. Cause I think if we play at Houston, it would have been an, another game like a, the, the Jaguars game where it's like, we're in enemy territory, unfamiliar surroundings, unfamiliar opponent, like not in our division. We don't play them very often. Um, so it, that's, it's a trap game for sure. Um, Lions, you got to feel better about our chances after they don't, they got rid of TJ Hawkinson. That's a home game. So this is like our get, these are our get right games, right? Go two and zero there. If we go two and zero there, we're eight and two heading into the, the Thanksgiving game at, in Dallas against the Cowboys. Um, emotions are going to be an all time high Thanksgiving day. Whoa. Afternoon game. Uh, that's our opportunity to show people that. Uh, the Cowboys don't own this, don't own us, don't own us like they have for so long. <laughs> and then we have the commanders at home, Eagles at home. You'd like to get one or two wins out of that home stretch. And then at commanders at Minnesota, woof, home against the Colts and then at Philadelphia, which that last game against Philadelphia 
who knows? I mean, they could be like 16 and 0 and be like, we're going to we're going to try and get the perfect regular season. They could be 15 and 1 or 14 and 2 at that point. It's like, let's just rest our guys and then that could be an easy W. Um so with all that said, I have us my updated record prediction 11 and 6. I think if we can get the the wins against the Texans and Lions, sweep the Commanders and beat the Colts, that puts us at 11 wins and you know would be nice to steal one from the eagles and maybe that is that last game where they rest everyone <laughs> or uh i'd love to to get revenge on on dallas on thanksgiving day that would be sweet um but realistically just knowing how things have panned out and how the each team has looked. I mean, Dallas's defense, Jesus Christ, dude, you know? And even it's like, they don't have Ezekiel Elliott. Well, Tony Pollard's better. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know? So I, you know, I don't think we're getting a lot of guys back in time for that Thanksgiving day game. Maybe Evan Neal, you know? And I think maybe that's the the game plan here is like, let's try and use the body, get healthy. I think that's why they didn't rush a lot of people back for Seattle. Even though it's an important game, it's a it's a conference game, not a division game. So it would be it would be nice to uh, get everyone back for that Cowboys game on Thanksgiving Day, and maybe that's the the aim there, or at least for that. Uh, let's try and get people back for that Week 14 game against the Eagles at home. You know, if you're you're aiming for the Cowboys game Week 12 away, but if not, we really need to be at 100 percent for that Week 14 game at home against the Eagles. So 11 and six, that should do it, right? I think 10 and seven could even do it. Nine and eight was, that feels like a coin flip situation. I don't know that we're going to be able to squeeze in at nine and eight, given how the 49ers look super rejuvenated with Christian McCaffrey. Holy moly. Um, and don't sleep on the freaking commanders for some reason. Ugh. All right. So that's the uh, New York football giants.